If you would, turn the Bible to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. Abby, was this your water? Can I have it? That one hadn't been opened before. Some of y'all remember that sometimes they're already opened. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 3 this morning. Recently, I went through the drive through at a restaurant, fast food restaurant. I do that really as often as I can to get me a fresh sweet tea. And the person that took my order was the person that I got to the window at and had to pay and then when I got to the next window, it was the person there that was trying to get me the food. And while they were doing that, they also had to run over to the front counter to deal with somebody at the front counter. And I remember sitting there thinking, around. I, I remember thinking, like, they should be getting paid a lot for working that hard. They're doing a good job. But I remember thinking, like, I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to keep that up. I bet that person doesn't stay there that long. It's just so hard and so burdensome and so not rewarding and so frustrating to be in that position. I remember thinking they need help. I remember thinking surely, surely somebody is aware of this and going to try to provide some help. Our passage today in Nehemiah 3 is going to teach us that the church is not supposed to be like that. The church is to be a bunch of people that are working together for a common reason. Nehemiah 3 is a passage that's not read a lot. It gets overlooked all the time. But we're going to study it today. There aren't a lot of books written on Nehemiah. Nehemiah does get a lot of attention for leadership principles. I've, I've told you all that each week. But Chuck Swindoll has a really popular book on Nehemiah. It's called Hand Me Another Brick because they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And in this popular book on Nehemiah, Chuck Swindoll, who you've probably heard of him before, doesn't even mention chapter 3. He doesn't even cover chapter 3. That's how much chapter 3 seems to not be important to many people. It's just a list of names and building. But the Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. Every scripture is profitable to equip us to make us who God wants us to be. And since that is the case, we're not skipping over Nehemiah 3. That's our passage today. Read with me, if you will, 1 through 32. And I don't speak Hebrew, so I'm going to struggle with a lot of these names. Here we go, chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred. 
as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Emri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Mermoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Joida, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodea, repaired the gate of Yeshanah. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah and the Gibeonite and Jadon the Maranathite, men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province of beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harahiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramoth, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. Malchajah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Verse 13, Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its brekah. Ruler of the district of Beth Hasharam repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kalhose, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs go down from the city of David. And after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Beth-zur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Rahum, the son of Bani, next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired. Bavai, the son of Hinnadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah. Next to him, Azur, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maasiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower protect, projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parash, and the temple servants living on Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east in the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. 
After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshalam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and one of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Wow. Now that I've read that, we can say almost certainly you have never had that chapter read out loud to you before. But I think that's a good thing that now we're reading it. I think we're learning indirectly that we're a church committed to the Bible. We want to learn it. We want to know it. We, want, we don't want to have sections that we skip over. We want to follow God and his word. But my point in preaching this passage today is not that indirectly you would see, hey, they value the word, but even more so than that, that you and I would see that this passage, chapter three, has something for us. Commentator Betts, who I'm quoting to you all each week because I'm loving his commentary, summarizing all of chapter three, says this. Accomplishing God's work. Remember the setting of Nehemiah, right? They're in exile. Jerusalem is a disgrace. They're not living for God's glory. There's reproach all over the name of God. And Nehemiah has said, I've got to do something. He gets permission after praying to go back to Jerusalem and start building it back. And that's where we're at. T.J. Betts says, accomplishing God's work requires all of God's people to cooperatively and sacrificially give their time, their abilities, their resources, and their best efforts to carry it out. That's what this chapter's about. And I've been praying all week that God would work in us here this morning, according to Nehemiah chapter 3, that you and I would want to be involved in what God is doing in the world and what God is doing specifically through this church here in South Louisville. So let's look at a little bit of the details, okay? One of the things that's really obvious about this chapter is that it moves along. It, it goes along from one spot to the next spot. Remember, Jerusalem is a city. It's got walls around it that are a defense mechanism to guard against attacks. And now the walls are broken down, so they're completely exposed and vulnerable. They've been captured, they've been taken away. It's really bad. So they need to build the walls back, and that's what's happening. But you see in verse 1 that they start at the sheep gate. Does everybody see that? That would be, very simply, where people could come into Jerusalem with their sheep so they could offer sacrifice. Or they could come into Jerusalem and purchase sheep to go offer sacrifices. The sheep gate, okay? But look at verse 32. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the what? The sheep gate. What happens in this chapter is it goes counterclockwise, Nehemiah does, all the way around. I don't use graphics much, but I'm going to show you one today. Look at this graphic. All right, I hope you can see that. We're not needing to read that today, okay? At the very top, okay, that's the sheep gate. And moving counterclockwise, okay, this way, all the things in this chapter are listed out. 
Sheepgate, Tower of the Hundred, Tower of Hananel, Fishgate, and it just keeps going all the way around, all the way around, all the way around, and it comes back. And that's a picture of what it's really like. And in this chapter, you see that. If you just skip this chapter, you'd never see that this is a real thing in a real place, right? If you read through it and you don't think about it much, you probably wouldn't pick up on that. If you read from verse 1 to 32 and you don't catch that sheep gates in both, you probably wouldn't pick up on that, right? But I'm here today to show you that Nehemiah is giving us detail of what's going on. That's really cool. Starts at the sheep gate, moves right along to the different points along the wall, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, and comes full circle, counterclockwise, all the way back, all right? There are a lot of names mentioned here. There are a lot of different uh, places, a lot of different uh, backgrounds, a lot of different roles, a lot of different efforts. We're going to talk about that too. So it is like boring to read that. Some of y'all may have fallen asleep, although, hey, we're two weeks in a row of keeping you on your toes now during church, aren't we? It is boring to read that, I know. There still is stuff for us to get, and I'm hoping so. I've only got two points this morning. Here's the first. The work of God is accomplished by the works of people. The work of God is accomplished by the works of people. The walls of Jerusalem are being built back. God is restoring his name, his witness, his, um, uh, um, 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 his reputation in the world. God is restoring that. But there are over 30 names in chapter 3. And the way that God built the walls back is quite simply because each little person was over there doing their part with the hammer. Each little person was over there holding the board while somebody nailed a hammer. This is important. The work of God is accomplished by the works of people. I don't want to oversimplify, but I do want us to think I'm a part of that. This massive project of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was accomplished and completed by the many people working together. Teamwork. In your bulletin, it says teamwork in kingdom work. I worked at UPS for two years, 07 to 09. I liked it. I didn't like working nights and not sleeping, but I liked working there. I enjoyed it. And when I would come in at night and I'd see somebody and say, hey, man, how's it going? You would hear this all the time. Living the dream and teamwork makes the dream work, right? They say that all the time there. And I like that phrase. It emphasizes teamwork and progress and that we can move a million packages in UPS and out every night. Did you know that? Our UPS hub right here in Louisville serves over a million packages every night. They leave your house, they get to there, and they're back out in one night over a million. Well, they're trying to replace people with robots these days, but still, it takes a lot of people, right? Teamwork. And God is wanting to teach us here that teamwork matters in what he's doing. In order for God to accomplish what God is going to accomplish, we have all of the promises. God will never be stopped. He told Peter straight up, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
We worry about a lot of things these days, but one thing we're not worried about is the success of Jesus being glorified in that last day. Amen? Amen. Jesus is Lord of lords, and every knee will bow to him, and every tongue will confess. You want to be on his team. And teamwork is what we see here. The walls of Jerusalem being built. He didn't go and fundraise for a couple years to get enough money to hire out the best construction company in Jerusalem and, and, and have them come and build it back. He didn't do that. He rallied the troops. We studied that last week. He had a burden. He sought the Lord, and God used him. This week, I had the opportunity to speak to two different teams. I spoke to the soccer team from the high school on Tuesday. We fed them. I spoke to the football team on Friday night after their practice, but we fed them on Saturday. A lot going on there. A lot of meals, a lot of preparation, a lot of grocery store runs, a lot of ordering. One time we got them Chick-fil-A, somebody had to pick that up. Drinks had to be made, ice had to be gathered, macaroni and cheese had to be purchased and prepared. I mean, all of that stuff's going on. There's a lot of volunteers. And afterward, I was telling some of them, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I said this very thing to them. I said... I couldn't do the things that I think God is wanting me to do if you don't do the things that you think God is wanting you to do. Teamwork. And then as I thought about that and talking to them, I told them this. In other words, the church can't do what it does unless the church does what it does. Meaning... There's a lot of things going on here, right? Meaning, it won't keep going well. It won't progress. We won't be found faithful and obedient and encouraged through it without the sum of the parts working together. Think about this. All of those walls around the city, each little spot along the way, had these different people with a different job, with a different life, with a different time schedule, with a different skill set, and the walls were built because they were working together. Now check this out. This is one of the best things about Nehemiah chapter 3. Did y'all notice how many times it said next to him, next to them, next to him? Some 20 times in chapter 3 you have that, next to him, Next to him, next to him, next to him, next to them, next to them, next to him. You know what that is? That is locked arms. That is shoulder to shoulder. That's life upon life. That's, hey, I'll do my part, you do your part. I'll do my part, you do your part. And the sum of that is the walls being built across the whole city. It's a beautiful thing to think about that. There was unity there. The work of God was being accomplished by the works of people. But let's remember, they're not just wanting to rebuild their hometown. I'm pushing back on that every time we study this. It is a point of application that we should want to make uh, Fairdale or Louisville or wherever we live the best that we can if we're a part of it. It is a point of application that whatever school you're a part of, you want that school to thrive, right? That's application. It is a part of teaching here that you should pick up the trash, leave a place better than you found it. That's good biblical stuff, but that's not the main point here. 
The main point of Nehemiah is that they were burdened that God's name was being disgraced. There was reproach upon God and his glory. Nobody saw Jerusalem, the place of God and the people of God, and thought, wow, I need to be a part of that because they know God. Nobody did. It looked like a joke. And Nehemiah got burdened for that. God worked in him, and it spread out. And the other people caught the vision and burdened for that, and they started working. That's what's going on here. So we need to ask ourselves about the unity that they had. How were they able to all work together? What is it that is uniting them? What is it that unites us? And this is the role of pastors to teach and labor and teach and labor that we would understand this. We might say it's the role of pastors and church leaders to push the troops and rally and form teams and, and let's advance. Yes, yeah, maybe so, but not primarily. God will lead you guys to do what God will lead you guys to do. But what the role of the pastors is, is for you guys to understand what is the most important thing. Do I know Jesus? Do I live for him? Does my life honor him? Am I a part of that teamwork? Am I, a, 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 am I holding back the progress and the work? Or am I contributing to the progress and the work? Understanding our unity is so critical. We have one overarching thing in common, Jesus. Our foundational, foundational identity is to be God. It's the beauty of the people of God. Some people here went to Fairdale High School, and so they love Fairdale to the day they die, no matter what. Some people here have never even been on Fairdale's property, and they don't care whether they won or lost last night. That's okay. Our unity is not so much what high school we went to. Our unity is Jesus. Our unity is not, hey, we've all got good parents and they raised us well. And so, you know, we're just following in their footsteps. They taught us to go to church and we go to church. For all the times that that's the case, praise the Lord. But it's not always the case, and it's certainly not our unity. This isn't a gathering of people here that came from good families. This isn't a gathering of good families. This is a gathering of people who have one hope, Jesus. It is the teamwork of God's people that will accomplish the work of God. We have lots of contributing factors to our identity. We could go on and on with examples. Some people went to college, some people didn't. Some people have a job, some people don't. Some people have children, some people don't. Some people like, the inside, uh, some people like staying inside, some people like staying outside, right? Some people love air conditioning, some people don't run air conditioning, right? We could go on and on. Some people here actually like the Louisville Cardinals, and some people here like the Kentucky Wildcats, and some people here like the North Carolina Tar Heels, there are a lot of different things that shape our identity. That's okay. That's a good thing. Our identities are made by all of the different things that have poured into our lives. The college years, the elementary age years, the first jobs that we worked, the hard times we've been through, the sports we've played. We've been shaped by those things. That's a part of our identity. But the foundational, the bedrock, the most important thing about us is that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. Deep down, more significant than all those other contributing factors, more important than anything else is the belief that Jesus Christ is Lord, God, and King, and that everybody will answer to him. That unites us. More importantly than all of those things that maybe create friendships or, or maybe naturally bring us together, there's something bigger. 
And churches must understand that. We cannot ever allow ourselves to be united more so on those other things. That will create divisions. Do you understand that? If those other things become more important on our unity than Jesus, then while we think there's unity, division is actually happening. And the walls will never be rebuilt in Jerusalem and a witness for Christ in Louisville will not happen if Jesus is not the central thing uniting us. Not where we're from, not how we roll, not how much money we have, not how often we go out to eat, not what our favorite restaurants are to go out to eat, not what our kids are into or our hobbies or anything like that. We must guard against those things being the key part of these relationships. And we must prioritize that Jesus, faith in him, walking according to the truth, listening to the truth is what is the very most important thing to us. And that's why we're united. It is a beautiful thing when I am close to somebody that likes Kentucky basketball. It's a beautiful thing. Because on a basketball level, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not that into it. But with Jesus, it's the most important thing. It's a beautiful thing when you grew up this way with parents and family and stability and sometimes making good decisions just comes so natural to you because your dad taught you every single step of the way. And somebody else comes along that says, man, I never had a dad. Nobody ever taught me anything like that. And those people don't look down on each other. They're not thinking that you're this or that you're that. But they see Jesus at the very center and they move toward unity. We see this here. Everybody in Jerusalem rallied after Nehemiah is united in rebuilding the walls. If you know anything about Nehemiah chapter 3, I want you to remember that that's the chapter where it says next to him. Next to him, next to him, next to him. Those people were working together. The work of God is accomplished by the works of people. Now, I want to just give you a couple of examples. Friday night into Saturday, we had our 24 hours of prayer here. We do that every, we do that twice a year. And uh, just this weekend, there were nearly 100 people here at the church praying, asking God to work. We had a prayer guide praying through different things. We do a lot of praying here. We have prayer meetings on Wednesday nights. We have a prayer team uh, board that we go through. We do the 24 hours of prayer. I mean, this, this weekend alone, we've prayed a whole lot. But I want you to know out of all of those prayers, me was not a whole lot of part of that. Our four pastors weren't a whole lot of part of that. Now, we contributed. We did it. I did a little hour time slot. But there were hundreds Roughly 100 people here praying in all that different time. What I'm, what I'm pointing out is a church that prays is not based off an individual that prays. It's based off all of the people working together that are praying. Uh, I think the air tank is going off again. Yep. It's going off again. But what I'm, the point I'm making is that we're a praying church. And we want to be a praying church, and we're working hard to be a praying church. And the reason why we're a praying church is because we have a lot of people that are praying. And we hate the notion to think, well, th those pastors are praying pastors, and that makes that a praying church. No, that sounds like a problem. We've got a lot of praying people. I just did some rough numbers. Listen to this. Last year, mouths that do not attend this church 
We fed a hot meal to over a thousand mouths last year. I didn't serve a single plate. I didn't cook a single meal. Now that I think about it, none of your pastors did. Over a thousand people in Fairdale ate a hot meal through this church last year. Wasn't because of me. With the food pantry last year, over, this is a huge number, this is heavy, over 12,000, and that's kind of a modest number, over 12,000 boxes and bagged up meats and bags of produce were given out, over 12,000 of those last year. I didn't stuff a single box. I don't do that. Who's doing all that stuff? Who's spending hours here praying? Who's stuffing boxes? Who's unloading trucks? Who's cooking meals? Who's cleaning tables? I haven't wiped tables down in a while. I like to take out the trash sometimes. Who's doing all that? Who's doing the things that make this happen? Our nursery is now expanding into a third room. Hundreds and hundreds of hours are spent volunteering in the nursery. Changing diapers, cleaning up spit up, contacting parents, looking at their watch every second that we go past noon. <laughs> and I, it's been a long time since I've worked in the nursery. That was a long time ago. Who's doing that stuff? The united people of God working. Y'all, there are missionaries all over the world taking the name of Jesus and the saving message of the cross to people. Southern Baptists alone have over 5,000 missionaries on the field. That's a lot. Then there's lots from other denominations too. That's a lot of people. Our church has sent out one recently. And we got some others that we're about to send. But as far as missionaries that we've sent out that we're supporting right now, there's one family, the Laymans, and we pray for them a lot. Who's sending all these people? Who's funding them? How are there thousands and thousands of missionaries on the field spread out all over the place in, in every nation, people working? Because the work of God is accomplished by the works of people. There are so many churches and so many believers that are working together. When we hear this point being made, and we hear next to them, next to them, next to them, next to them. And we hear that over and over again. I pray your heart is saying, I want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. I want to be a part of what God is doing through my church here in South Louisville. I want to be a part of God reaching people. I want to be a part of God being glorified. I want to be a part of what God is doing through all of this. Commentator Bet says, when people are zealous for the glory of God and the removal of any reproach that is associated with the people of God, listen to this, it is natural for them to volunteer to serve him. No coercion is necessary. Amen? Amen. The people of God want to. It's in our bones. It is a part of our makeup to do something in the world for God. We know that God will accomplish his purpose. We stand upon his promises. We know that Christ will be exalted and the cross was not for nothing and the resurrection proves that Jesus is alive. We know this and we want to be evolved with it. Number one, the work of God is accomplished by the works of people. But number two, secondly, each of God's people are to serve God uniquely 
in their own way. Oh, I want you to be encouraged by this. Each of God's people are to serve God uniquely in their own way. If the first point was to have you thinking, I want to be a part of what God is doing in the world and through our church, I want this point to get you thinking, well, I can do this, fill in the blank, to be a part of what God is doing in the world and through my church. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I think I can do. Here's how I can help. Here's what I can be a part of. Not only does the Bible teach that there's one body that's working, but the Bible teaches that there's one body made up of many parts. Each part does its own job. It's brilliant the way the Bible says this. The Bible states the obvious when it says the ear cannot do the foot's job. The foot cannot do the hand's job, right? We just read that. Josh Wamble read that passage from 1 Corinthians 12. It's incredible. It's what's true in the church. There's no way Nehemiah could have gone there and said, man, if I got enough time and the Lord gives me enough strength, man, I can lift up every block and every stone and every door and every wall. And let's see, let's see, in about 50 years, we'll have it restored. God, use me. Sounds ridiculous, right? Sounds like me sitting in the drive-thru watching one person run around like crazy trying to save that chain. That ain't it. But if one person says, here's what I can do. I can take care of this section. I'll do everything I can to take care of this section. Oh, God, help me take care of this section. God, help me do my job well. God, use me right here. And if they do this one right, next to him, they do this one right. Next to him, they do this one right. Next to him, they do this one right. Guess what happens soon enough? And God's got enough people, doesn't he? What he needs is unity between his people who are not being divided by the things that divide us, but are being by united by Jesus, who is the only thing that will ultimately unite people. He is. The divisions are so easy to recognize. That's why we need to lean in on following Christ. If we could take time to study all these people, and, and, and it would take a lot, it would take a lot of time, but if you could ever take the time to dig through all these people, it's fascinating. Did you hear that? Some of the groups were the priests that started with them. So you've got like the spiritual leaders in the rebuild were working, but it wasn't just the priests. Didn't you hear that? The perfumers were working in a different section. They got their own little business over here selling perfume, right? The goldsmiths were working in a different section. They're working on that. Didn't you see that? And did you hear the part about the Tekoites where it says it was just the servants because the, the noble people refused to work? Did you see that? Now, today's sermon isn't much on the opposition. The opposition, that's, that's next week's sermon because there is a whole lot of opposition to this. I don't want to sell you just a, that everything goes all good when you start going for something, right? There are lots of challenges. If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong, right? We say those types of things. But what you see when you read this is you've got people with jobs. You've got people here. You've got people that are uh, spiritual leaders. You've got people that aren't. And then, did you notice that it got to a section where it said they worked on the part in front of their house? They worked on the part in front of their house. Isn't that awesome? It's not like, hey, man, we're coming over here to rebuild the east end of town. Y'all want to come over here from, from Valley Station and help us build up Middletown? No, no thanks. It's not, like, it's not going like that. More realistically, it is, hey, we're rebuilding the walls of our city, man. God's not being glorified through this. Who's on board? We need everybody all in. Do the part right there in front of your house. Do the part right there in front of your house. Do the part right there in front of your perfume business. Do the part right there in front of the gate that you enter into. And they did the part that was most important to them or that was approximate to them. 
It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, and you can see, and I'm saying it every week, you can see how much the leadership of Nehemiah is important here because of the way he's doing this and the way he's leading the people. But we can't miss that there is one great work going on made up of many parts. Each of God's people are to serve God uniquely in their own way. One little neat point that I want to point out just so you can see it. Look at verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. I hope you heard this when I read it. Don't act like this was a small thing. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. Right? He's got a lot of influence. Look who he's repairing along with. He and his daughters. Isn't that awesome? Even that just gives you a little picture of the teamwork that's going on here. In that society, it shouldn't have been the women that were out there holding lumber and swinging, uh, swinging hammers. You know that. But he was out there. It gives us a little picture of this was kingdom work. It gives us a picture of what my first point was, that the work of God is being accomplished by the works of people. They caught the vision of, yes, we want the name of God to be revered. We want it to be known. We want everybody to see that God is worthy and holy and glorious, and we're going to take that upon ourselves. I'm bringing my daughters to help with this for the cause. You know he wasn't out there going, well, it'd be good for them. You know, one day they might live by themselves, and they need to learn how to swing a hammer too, right? That's the way we talk about trying to raise our daughters on stuff. That's not what was in his mind. What was in his mind was, this is about the name of Jesus. This is about the glory of God. Here, y'all come with me. Well, Dad, why are we rebuilding the walls? This is about the glory of God. The people of God are to represent God well. We are to represent God faithfully. We are his ambassadors Betts writes, not everyone is expected to do everything. Church, do you hear that? We don't want any superheroes in the church. We don't need any heroes in the church. We don't need any all-stars in the church. Some of y'all are, but we don't need them. We don't give out awards. We don't have the best church member. We don't recognize the biggest giver, the most volunteer hours. We don't do that stuff. We got one hero. His name's Jesus. He died on the cross for us, and nothing is beneath us to give to him. We will lay down our lives for him. He laid down our lives for us. He laid down his life for us. Betts writes, not everyone is expected to do everything, but everyone is expected to do something. What was true then is true for the church today. Not everyone in the church can do everything, nor are we expected to do everything, but every one of us is called to do something in the Lord's service. In the New Testament, you've got spiritual gifts. You've got the Bible teaching us that the Holy Spirit has gifted people, okay, to serve him. In Ephesians chapter 4, listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 4, I just want to read you a verse. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Listen to this. The air tank's going off again. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Listen to verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the Bible. That is the truth of God teaching us 
That when each part of the body of Christ is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Don't you want to be a part of a church and a part of Christianity that is like that, healthy and sound, where we're not distracted and divided by so many things, but our eyes are on Christ. We see our contribution through our energy, our time, our resources going to that, and we say, God, use us for your glory. Each of God's people are to serve God uniquely in their own way. I hesitate to tell you this story, but I think, it will, I think it will help. I remember several years ago, I was riding the car with my kids. It was several years ago. And I asked them, who's your favorite person in our church? And one of them said, Miss Faye Fentress. And I thought to myself, out of all the people in the church, her? This little, quiet widow that you hardly hear say anything? She was their Sunday school teacher, first or second grade. And if you'd have asked me who was their favorite person, I'd have probably picked somebody who was out there playing kickball with them. I'd probably ask some of y'all that's always running around giving them candy. I'd have thought it was that. You know what has been the most significant person in their life, at least at that time? If you don't know, Miss Faye Fentress is now a widow that lives in Georgetown, Kentucky in a nursing home. She hasn't been here in years. She is still alive. But think about the significance of an elderly lady that's a widow showing up here at 930 to teach Sunday school to some first and second graders. And us thinking about that as, ah, it's just a spot to fill or a role to, a role to do. And a child saying, out of every one of you all, that's my favorite person at the church. When you ask somebody, why do they like that church? You need to know there's a hundred different reasons that you're not aware of. That God's working in a bunch of different ways. Each of God's people are to serve God uniquely in their own way. Now, it is fair and honest to say that we're all at different spots in life. I don't want you to hear this message as, well, he's really getting on us and we need to go and get busy and everybody needs to sign up for something. That's not what I'm saying. Some of y'all need to do less. Some of y'all can sit right at home on your couch saying, I don't need to go do anything else. I'm just going to sit here and pray. I'm not saying do more. I'm saying you matter to the work of God. Some people have a lot of time. Some people have no time. Some people have a lot of energy. Some people don't have any energy left. Everybody's different. We know that. This is not to burden you. This is to empower you to go and do something. Be a part of what God's doing. Be encouraged that your church is moving forward and that God is working in us. Be a part of it. I opened with that fast food restaurant that you order and you pull up to the window and you pull up to the second window, same person. You look in there like, man, I think it's the only person here. But I can think of a few other restaurants where they've got handfuls of people standing outside. And you pull up to the first window and there's somebody there. They've actually turned that window into a door. And you pull up to the next window to get your food. And you look inside there and there's about 20 people standing inside there. Before I'm finished with my drink, they've already topped it off with a refill. 
Somebody's bringing me new sauces at my table. At Jimmy John's, they make my sandwich so fast that before I even get done to my drink, my, my, it's ready for me. Freaky fast is what they call it. And when you see a restaurant like that where they got so much going on, you think, it'd probably be fun to work here. I, th- I think, I'm not looking for a job in a restaurant, but if I was, I could work there. That'd be fun, man. Look at all those people. They're running around. They're united. They're getting it done. Man, they're pumping them out. They're having a good time together. They're united. They're accomplishing the purpose. If the goal here is to get people in and out and get their food and and have a good dinner, they're doing it. Church, we're not a restaurant. We don't want to be. But we're followers of Christ. And together, we serve him. Nehemiah 3, next to them, next to them, next to them. You don't need to be the best person here. We're not expecting you to be. But by faith in Christ, with your eyes set toward him, live for Jesus. He will use you as he's using us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this chapter. God, we thank you so much that we can get something like that out of it. God, your body does have many parts and each matters. Father, we pray that we would trust in Christ, feel the Spirit empowering us to serve you and want to be a part of what you're doing. God, we pray that in turn, through the work, God, that we would see more people served, more people loved, more people coming to know Jesus. God, we pray that you would use our church to reach people, that families would be built up, that marriages would be strong in you, the kids would be raised up in the faith, that we would be faithful to your truth. Father, may we experience here, next to them, next to them, next to them, that beside us are many others serving you, that united we have a common bond, Jesus, and living for your glory. Father, strengthen your church today, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we